The pandemic has hit us hard, and healthcare workers are our first and last lines of defense. So while they're looking out for us, who's looking out for them? There has never been a more critical time to address the mental health of our healthcare community. This is Lift the Mask, voices of heroes in the silent pandemic. Join the Quell Foundation and Hartford Health's Dr. John Santopietro as we provide a podcast for healthcare workers discussing their psychological traumas associated with continual exposure to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello, my name is John Santopietro. I'm a psychiatrist and I am the physician-in-chief at the Behavioral Health Network of Hartford HealthCare, headquartered in Hartford, Connecticut. During the pandemic, I have been part of a team providing support to healthcare workers on the front lines, and I have a particular interest in making sure that their stories get told. The Quell Foundation has put together this podcast in order to lift up the voices of those on the front lines as a way of reaching those who are still out there in the hope that they will be inspired to reach out for the help and support that is there for them. While there's been a lot of reporting about the pandemic in the news and even about the front lines of healthcare, what's unique about this podcast is that you get to hear the stories from the people that lived it and actually are still living it. I would also encourage other leaders to listen into this podcast because there are many lessons and clues about what makes good leadership in a pandemic and a crisis. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Lift the Mask, Voices of Heroes in the Silent Pandemic. Welcome, Johanna. Really excited to have you here. It's an honor to be able to spend some time with you. And usually we start by uh, giving us an idea, you know, where you are or were based during the uh, pandemic or when it started and what your role in healthcare is. Sure. Hi, my name is Johanna and I'm a nurse in New York City. I work in the cardiovascular surgery and intensive care setting. Wow, I can't believe it was a year ago, but looking back at this time last year, I was actually island hopping in Southeast Asia, which is a once in a lifetime trip, really awesome. But we kind of got to the point at the end, you know, where the country was shutting down and we weren't sure if we were going to get out on time. And we literally got back on one of the last flights out of the country. So we were really lucky to get back. I was traveling with my boyfriend and he has a very flexible job and you know he was like oh wouldn't it just be awesome if we could stay here and kind of get stuck here and i was like no like i have to go back like there's a global pandemic going on and i'm a nurse i gotta go we gotta go so we have talked with a lot of people you know on the front lines of healthcare. you are the first person johanna that was island hopping that i've talked to and so what an interesting story so you literally were not even in the country do you even remember, like, how did you, where exactly were you and what did you um, So did you I was in the, the Philippines. Literally, we were out on a boat one day and like for a couple of days in a row, I just didn't have any cell phone service. I was kind of just disconnecting mm-hmm. and it was awesome. But then I came back to like just sheer panic of not being able to get off the island. So, I mean, did you, did somebody call you from home and say, do you know what's going on? Or were you reading it in the news? What gave you the, how did you know that, you know, things were at the point where you needed to get back? 
Well, I was definitely aware that all of this was going on before going, but we didn't leave until I think mid-February. So it was a long trip, but um, my parents were obviously hesitant about me going, but I don't think the reality of the situation had, you know, shown up in our country right at that time when I had left and I was keeping track, you know, with the news and I had been in contact with like my boss once things were getting you know, a little more stressful and worrisome. But yeah, I had lots of people texting me, calling me. But when we got back to our hotel from like that boat trip and they were just like, you guys need to make sure you can get out tomorrow because otherwise you're not going to be able to leave the country. So part of it was you you didn't want to get stuck outside of the country where you live. And part of it, it sounds like, was that you wanted to get back to, to help out. Yeah, I mean... I feel like this is going to sound so cheesy, but nursing is my profession, but it's also my passion. And I take great pride in what I do and what I do work in. So I just felt a calling, you know, I need to get back. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's one of the things that is really consistent in all the people that we've talked to is, uh, and you're right. It's probably not a surprise to people to hear it, but every time I hear it, it seems real. You know, healthcare is not just a job, it's a calling. And, you know, I'm sure there might've been another way to think of it when you're out of the country and not doing your job and you realize it might be dangerous to come back and Mm -hmm. do your job, which is why don't we just stay out and travel for a while? (laughs) But but you said, uh, no, I got to get back and help. So then what happened? So you got back to the ICU and was COVID already, had it already hit there? And what was it like Yes. So like I mentioned before, I work in um, a cardiac ICU where half is cardiac surgery. It's kind of like a figure eight. And then on the other side of the unit, it's all cardiac ICU. So primarily in the beginning, we were trying to keep our two units like as clean as possible because the medical ICU above us in the hospital was already taking COVID patients. So then we started kind of offloading their patients and then we started taking um, presumed positive or we called them PUIs, patients we had to rule out for COVID, but they were like, we were wearing the full PPE when we would take them. But I actually was lucky enough to get the first known COVID positive patient in my, on my unit, not in the whole hospital, of course. So yeah, that was quite an experience and one that I will never forget. All the way back from the Philippines and you had the first COVID positive patient. And how did you know? And what was, you know, what was your experience with that person like? So I remember I wasn't like expecting to get that patient at all. I think like my assignment had kind of changed like mid shift and they were just like, we need you to take, you know, this patient. And I think they were kind of just like, oh, well, they're COVID positive. And I was just kind of like, oh, like this is happening. So I remember setting up the room and I was kind of just getting it ready. Like I'm used to critical care patients. Like that wasn't scary to me. And I remember like my colleagues being like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, COVID, COVID, COVID. And I was just kind of like, all right, let's see. So I remember like setting up the room and uh, the one of the um, fellow doctors from the medical ICU came down and he was just going to help to settle the patient with me. And then anesthesia was there at the bedside too, as well as one of our cardiology fellows. So the patient came down 
And it was just something like very extraterrestrial. Hmm. It was terrifying to see, you know, it didn't look like a human. I, they, he was just gasping for air, like a fish out of water. And I remember kind of just standing there because until that patient was really intubated, like wasn't really much I can do. He was already on um, a non-rebreather mask. And I remember him just kind of like thrashing around in the bed and, you know, in what you want to do is just be like, Hey, calm down. Everything's going to be okay. But no amount of words could have calmed, you know, what was going on. So we were cr- pretty quick to intubate him. Uh, he was very clearly in respiratory distress. And I just remember like the amount of sedation that was required to, I guess, settle him down. And it just seemed impossible. Like I'm used to giving patients the minimal amount of sedation to keep them calm, especially after cardiac surgery and weaning off those meds pretty quickly. Like, but with this patient, I like went all the way up on one of the meds and he was still like thrashing around in the bed. So it came time to um, put a central line in him as well as an arterial line. So we could constantly monitor his blood pressure, check arterial blood gases to see what, how the oxygen was, um, I guess, being received in his body from the ventilator. The fellow that I was in that room with was having a really, really tough time getting the patient to stay still, even though we were on multiple sedatives. And so I stood under like the sterile drape, literally holding the patient down, trying to make sure he was stable so that the fellow obviously didn't hurt the patient, but also so that the fellow didn't get hurt and we could, you know, get this line in. And I think it took like maybe one or two hours and I was literally just like standing underneath and we both just like came out of the room like obviously we're in full PPE just like sweating and we were just like oh my gosh (laughs) wow what what an incredible story I mean so starting with like you said there had been patients who were PUIs or patients under investigation for COVID and then but here's now your first official somebody that you know has COVID and you're there. And the way you described, it was really powerful. It gave this sense of it wasn't even, this virus is so new to the human body, you Mm -hmm. know? And what came across when you were describing, I think you said extraterrestrial or something, it's not human almost, you know? It's something so different. And, And you had that experience on the first patient and then to and then the of course the image of you standing there you know for one or two hours under the drape just you know trying to make it work and coming out and sweating it's really a powerful image for your first patient right and then you know what happened in the subsequent weeks and and then months and and through the summer were you, were you guys getting a, a number of COVID patients yeah so we were I feel like looking and talking about it with my colleagues mm-hmm. after the fact for I'd say from like that mid-March point until May-ish, it was kind of just like nonstop. I feel like personally, I have a really hard time remembering what happened on those days, uh, even though I was at work pretty much every day because I, I couldn't stay home. I was anxious when I was at home and I was just like, I need to be there. I need to do something. And I guess like the first couple of weeks that we started taking patients, it was just like chaos because one, we didn't know how to manage these patients Two, like our limits were being stretched. Like I am used to working in an environment, you know, where 
you have one to two patients, one if that patient is super critically ill and they need a one-to-one ratio. Sometimes we go up to three if it's a little more stable, but we were kind of just stretched thin, kind of Mm -hmm. crazy assignments that no one would ever think we would have to do. And we tried a lot of team nursing with other units within the hospital. And that was just so hard because my level of experience is totally different versus another nurse. So it was very hard. I feel like I'm at loss for words because one, I have a hard time remembering it, but I just remember being like, damn, like that was hard. <laughs> I feel like I, I can't explain it. You know, I think you're doing a great job. I mean, it's so helpful <laughs> to have this transparent, honest, completely honest answer, which I think gives people an idea how folks react in the chaos, as to use your word, or traumatizing situations that uh, you remember that first case pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the image I'm getting is that you just kind of went into a zone, you know, yeah. and figured out a way to be there and do your work. But the details aren't really clear mm-hmm. in some ways, and in, in terms of even how you did what you did. And I, I remember, because you're somebody, I, I think, that had an, had experience previously you know, in therapy and counseling, right? And yeah. so, because we've, we've talked with a number of people who had, had never had any of that experience and then through this experience of the pandemic reached out for the first time, but you're somebody that had that experience. And I'm trying to remember, you know, I think you said that you had a low point, you know, you, you, you're in this zone, in this chaos, but then you hit a low point in June or July or what was mm-hmm. that like? Just going back a little bit, I remember I said that I was kind of just working every day and my parents were just kind of like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, and I was fine. Like, I was like, I can do this. I can get through this. Like I I need to help other people. And they were like, you need to call us and you need to talk to us. And at that point, I don't think I had broken down yet. And then on a car ride home from work, because I was driving into the city at this point, I had to pull over on that call because I was just sobbing. I unfortunately had seen some patients who were my patients prior to COVID come in and have to be intubated and, Hmm. you know, the whole nine yards. Um, But I was having a really hard time articulating what I was seeing. So I had been, like you said, involved in therapy for a couple years. Now I have a pretty long history of anxiety and depression that I'm always been very open with talking about with other people. And I was using Talkspace, which is an app on my phone, and I'm able to FaceTime with my therapist, and I text her weekly. Um, But I was doing that for about two years, and my mom was really encouraging me to keep up with therapy. But in like those months, we were still taking COVID patients, but I guess it kind of slowed down. I was just like, no. And I just, you know, I I couldn't verbalize. And I was also kind of in my head, like, nobody understands what I'm going through. So I honestly, yes. I mean, I tried to like articulate with her, but I also just wasn't in the best state of mind. So I I deleted the app and I was like, I don't need this. I'm fine. Wow. So I kind of went through the rest of the summer and I was, you know, hanging out a lot with my colleagues, you know, doing like outdoor activities and that were social distancing and stuff like that. And I remember just coming out of the summer into the fall 
and I was just not very happy in general. I am in nurse practitioner school as well. So I've been doing that for the past almost three years um, while working full time. So I think in the fall, it kind of just all caught up to me. And I mentioned to you before, I kind of just had like a mental breakdown slash panic attack slash anxiety attack. Looking back, I never had one of those, like, but I was doing an online, um, we call them practicums Mm -hmm. uh, for my nurse practitioner school. Mm. And I wasn't doing anything stressful. I think we were just like talking about like central lines, how to insert a central line or something like that. And I started having like the symptoms of a full on anxiety attack Mm -hmm. where I was having like palpitations. I felt short of breath and I was just, my mind was just like racing. And I think that was one of the first times I realized that I I needed to get help, but I had also been having a lot of trouble sleeping Mm -hmm. as well as concentrating on school or even like daily activities at work. So (laughs) me being you know, the person who wants an instant fix, because I don't have time, you know, mm-hmm. to go to all these different appointments. I went to my primary care and they were like, oh, okay, well, let's, you know, work you up for X, Y, Z, make sure you don't have anything wrong with you that could be causing these, you know, symptoms, even though mm-hmm. I did tell them, hey, like, I just went through a really stressful life event, like I'm a nurse, blah, blah, blah. And I honestly remember thinking, like, I just wanted something to be wrong with me and those lab results. And I remember mm-hmm. getting them back a couple of days later and I just like ran through them and I'm like, normal, 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 normal. And I was just like, oh. it must be something else. So if you don't mind, pause for a yeah, second, because yeah, yeah. there's so many really important things in what you said. So going back, you know, it sounded like, and if I have this right, but it sounded like, you know, you're somebody, you know, therapy, it's helped you before, you, mm-hmm. you know, you even found a way, uh, an online, you know, version of it that suits your lifestyle. It's easier, it's more convenient, but then you're in this sort of chaos mode, mm-hmm. you know, which is extremely stressful. And, you know, you said, basically, I'm sort of not able to articulate what's going on. And mm-hmm. I'm not even able to use, you know, the talking, you know, in the therapy, yeah. which is really important because I think that's not uncommon when people get into a, a low spot in their therapy, they, like they're in treatment and maybe it starts well, but then they're actually getting worse or they're having depression or something. They can't, mm-hmm. and they can be really frustrating where they're like, well, I can't even think of what to say. Why should I even do this? So it's really helpful to hear you say that. And then you said you wanted to get in that you're, you had this call with your folks and mm-hmm. something about that call, them reaching out or you reaching out to them or the way they said it, you said it, it opened something up. There was this flood of emotions that came, which I think yeah. really emphasizes how important it is to stay connected with people. And I thought that was really important what you were saying about how you didn't have the words. And so you actually deleted the app, you know, with Talkspace, with the therapy program. And you had this call with your folks where the emotions came through. And I wanted to get a little more information about when you went, reached out for help, primary care, and you said something like, I really wanted an answer and it wasn't the labs. Okay. So you're looking at this list and they're all normal. Then what did you think? Where did you go from there? I have a medical background. So I feel like I kind of knew in the back of my head what was going on, Mm -hmm. but I didn't want to diagnose myself. So I was like, okay, I think I know what I have. I think I know what's going on. Uh, PTSD. 
really? uh, mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went to another primary care provider because I wasn't seeing the one I had been seeing before. I was having a really difficult time actually getting appointments, you know, with everything that was going on. So I, you know, was talking to my mom again and she was like, you know, maybe you should try therapy again. So I um, was trying to actually find someone local that was in person, but I don't know. I just, I have a really awesome connection with my therapist. So I tried to find her again on Talkspace Mm -hmm. and unfortunately she like wasn't taking patients. And I literally felt like I had been broken up with. I mean, even though I did the breaking up. Yeah. So I I was talking with like people on Talkspace and like trying to, you know, find another provider. And I just like really couldn't find someone. So I reached out and I was like, hey, I really want to connect with my previous therapist. And they're like, okay, well, we can open the dialogue for you too, but it's up to her if she wants to take you on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, it's like begging forgiveness, like, take me back. But that's kind of like what it was. And Mm -hmm. I remember being so nervous, but like, we just had such a good connection and she helped me through a really, really tough time in my life a couple of years ago. And every time you start going, I think that's why I was so against going to in-person therapy because I had been in in and out of it so many times throughout like my teens and my early twenties that it takes a lot to even just like open yourself up to someone. Yeah. And that's my own doing, like me not being, you know, sticking with a, a one therapist, but it's hard to open up to someone like, and I just went through a, obviously a very life-changing event. And then to have to kind of like talk about my past in its entirety right. with someone else, I was just like, oh. So what did she say? She was like, Joe, Hannah, I am so happy to hear from you. Of course, I'll take you right. back. I, you're my patient for life. And I think I like teared up. Yeah, I wow. feel like I have a low threshold for crying nowadays, which is okay. <laughs> well, you'd have reason to. But also, you know, again, really excellent explanation of how important the relationship is in, in treatment, you know, mm-hmm. both from the standpoint of the person doing the therapy and the patient. And you even said, look, I've, I, I've done it a bunch of times. So I, I know that. And then mm-hmm. I'm really glad that she was able to work you in, you know, get you back in the schedule. And then, so how to go, so you go back with her, yeah. you know, you'd sort of tuned out for a while. I don't think anybody can understand what I'm going through. <laughs> and you have the panic attack also. And yeah. then what did she say about, did she think it was trauma? Yes. I remember I kind of just went back and like recounted, you know, multiple, multiple experiences I had had the previous spring, as well as, you know, what happened over the summer, didn't have the best coping mechanisms during the summer. So I was drinking a lot, which is obviously, you know, not great in general, especially for someone with anxiety and depression. Um, And I kind of just described what I had been going through in the fall, trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating. I was kind of lashing out. I had a low threshold for, you know, anybody. I would Mm. be upset easily. I was you know, feeling like palpitations over the smallest things. I was even having flashbacks at work or there would be nights where I would just like wake up in a cold sweat and I wouldn't be able to fall back asleep. And I kind of just explained those things to her. She was like, Johanna, like this 
is trauma. What you're going through is trauma. Mm-hmm. So we, we like send voice clips to each other. I remember just like listening to that and it was just like a huge weight off my shoulder mm-hmm. just because, you know, I didn't want to diagnose myself. I don't right. want to be Dr. Google. Like right. I needed someone to tell me and that was kind of like closure for me. And from that point on, you know, I was ready to kind of work towards, you know, getting better. The way you said that I didn't want to diagnose myself. I needed somebody to diagnose me. To me, when I heard you say that, I think of I mean, maybe everybody, but certainly healthcare workers, right? Mm-hmm. Here you are, healthcare workers, and you know the signs of depression. You listed them better than I could, right? <laughs> Irritability, your sleep changed, you have nightmares, panic attacks. When it's you, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you're a healthcare worker and those things are happening to you, it's really hard for people to think about diagnosing themselves, like you yeah. said. It's very common, I think. So it's really interesting that you just said, I needed somebody to to say what it was. And she said, or she validated, this is trauma. I'm really glad you got, but you know, you just wonder if you hadn't gotten back with her and she Mm -hmm. hadn't said that all of these, but she knew you and she obviously knows, you know, what she's doing. So when she said that and it did validate it, then what did you do? Did did you work on that in your, in treatment? Yeah. So um, one thing that she has encouraged me to do to kind of process things is Mm. journaling Mm. and writing down, you know, my experiences, certain feelings, certain encounters. Mm -hmm. And when I was ready, you know, she invited me to talk about a time, talk about one of the patients that, you know, really impacted me. Mm -hmm. So I did. And it was like, cathartic relief to just like talk about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very vocal. I was talking, we, I was hanging out with my coworkers and we would kind of debrief, you know, all these situations and stuff, but there's something about kind of working through it with yourself and just looking back at how something made you feel and things like that. And, you know, she helped me point out or so many things. So, you know, during all this time during COVID, I, was obviously, you know, felt like I was going through so much and it was a struggle. But in the back of my head, I was always kind of like, no, like you're not allowed to complain right now. Like somebody else has it worse than you. Like, oh boy. I know. And like, I remember everyone was just like, you're a hero. You're a hero. And I was just like, I don't feel like a hero. Like I body bagged how many patients? Like I'm, I'm not a hero. And, and you could always think of somebody else that was. Yeah. Like, yeah. My, my best friend, she was in a similar situation as me. And uh, she is a cardiac surgery nurse. They turned it into a COVID ICU. And she ended up losing her dad to COVID. And my heart broke for my best friend. Because seeing all this happen to your patients, of course, my heart broke. But when it happens to someone that you love so much like that kind of made me feel like I I have no reason to complain so (laughs) I think she's a true hero for you know being so selfless to work through this while also having something so horrible happen to your family 
You know, it's really interesting. If we were not in a pandemic, I probably, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. I probably, <laughs> it'd be easier to say something that would try to orient you to being focused on your own experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like not worrying about other people so much, but it's different during the pandemic. One of the things that's really hard is there's so much suffering, right? Mm-hmm. As humans, we're doing the sort of comparing ourselves, to, you know, yeah. getting a, how bad do I have it relative to other people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, therapists, we're supposed to say, forget about that. Just, mm-hmm. just for now, yeah. focus on yourself, you know, but this is different because there mm-hmm. is so much, you know, everybody is dealing with something. So I think it makes it even a little harder, you know, to do what you were able to do with and with your therapist and on your own, which is acknowledge that you're mm-hmm. not the only person dealing with this crisis. There are other people dealing with it, yeah. but you need to focus on, yourself too, you know, because mm-hmm. if you don't, then you're not going to get better. And what, a, you know, the way you, you talked about, um, a lot of people say, well, what is therapy? You know, and mm-hmm. one of the things I think you're telling us is that it's putting things into words. I mean, yeah. I, I, it sounds simple, I guess, but whether you're writing them down in a journal or whether your therapist is using the word trauma that, mm-hmm. you know, when she says it, it makes, it clicks in a different way. Or like you said, to express yourself that somehow, I don't know if that gives you control over things or it makes it so that you can put it in perspective and and have more ownership over it. But it's really helpful, I think, for people to hear you talk about that. Can I ask you about the online therapy? Because that's really interesting, you know, it's an option. And, um, you know, you said there's the, you had experience in the traditional, you got to go in. So what has been appealing to you about uh, having an online therapy option? How's that? What do you like about it? So as I mentioned before, I am working full time. I also work per diem at another hospital in New York City. So that's two jobs. Two jobs. I work at my graduate school in the sim lab. Three jobs. And then I'm also in nurse practitioner school. So I don't really have a lot of free time. That's a lot. Let alone, you, you know, obviously honoring someone else's schedule and making sure that it fits in their time. So online therapy has been awesome for me. You know, I can get a message from my therapist and say I can't, you know, respond for a couple of days. I I try to, you know, sit down and think about what I say because in the past, like I kind of used to just like word vomit and Mm -hmm. say whatever came to my mind. But now, you know, I try to sit down, reflect on what she says, journal a little bit, and then I go back and I respond. But Talkspace also has psychiatry, and I have started doing that since all this as well. So that I, you can, you can video chat and text either, but I sat down with um, the psychiatrist and she specializes in trauma, PTSD. So we kind of like talked through medication options and it wasn't kind of just like the conversation, like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. Here you go. She like went and like broke down the science behind all of it and, you know, brought, me evidence of like why this does this and me being like kind of like the medical nerd that I am. I just appreciated that so much more versus just, oh, here's a prescription. Let me know when you need more. You know, online therapy and psychiatry works perfect for me just because it fits my schedule. I love the flexibility of it. And one thing I that was hard for me with in-person therapy 
is I would go to therapy and I'd feel awesome after my session. Like I just got all this stuff out mm-hmm. and then maybe a couple of days would pass and I'd feel, you know, awesome still. And then I would just kind of be like, oh, I don't need therapy anymore. I'm good. Like I'm so good. Yep. And then, you know, I stopped going to therapy a couple months later, something happens and it's kind of just like back to square one. Whereas, you know, with this, she kind of keeps me accountable to keep going. Yeah. So that's why it works for me. It's, no, it's, it's, it's great to hear. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause you know, first I really get this picture that it's not even just, I'm really busy, which you are. And I've got to take time out to go, you know, drive somewhere, mm-hmm. maybe wait. It's also the, the energy that it takes to set up the meeting, you know, yeah. like you, your schedule is probably all over the place. And like you said, <laughs> you want to, you're somebody that you don't want to be canceling on somebody or, right. and, and there's energy even in that, you know, so it's really convenient for you. But then also, because a lot of people probably, you know, who don't much know much about it might think, well, online, that doesn't sound like it's very personal, you know, but mm-hmm. your experience is the opposite, actually, that mm-hmm. when you're freed up, because you're not worried about all that time pressure stuff. And in addition to, you know, having sessions, you can do chatting and mm-hmm. it actually has been the opposite for you. You found it yeah. to be very personalized, which mm-hmm. that's really helpful to hear. I'm just blown away. So you've been through, you know, this pandemic, it was chaotic, you know, it was traumatizing, you know, you almost sort of shut it out for a while. And then, you know, you've gotten back into treatment and I'm sort of blown away. You're working two hospitals, you got another job, you're in APRN school. Can we talk a little bit? Cause you know, obviously you're out and talking with a lot of people on the front lines and nurses and I'm and been worried about, you know, hearing that people, are, are you hearing people talk about burning out or nurses talking about getting out of nursing and what, what do you, what's going on with that? Yes. I mean, I feel like nursing in general has kind of always been a somewhat burnt out profession. I love being a nurse. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But a lot of responsibilities get tacked on to nurses Mm -hmm. that are not exactly within our job description. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes nurses so awesome is they gladly take those roles on. Yep. Because at the end of the day, it's about, you know, your patient. It's not about you. It's about them. Yep. So I think over the years that has just been constantly growing you know, and COVID happens and we were at the center, we were at the core, we were at the patient's bedside. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, holding those iPads. We were Mm -hmm. having loved ones say goodbye and, you know, having those difficult conversations while other people kind of watched outside the glass doors and wrote notes on papers for things for you to do while you were in the room. And then, I mean, personally for me, like, after things kind of settled down, it was kind of like, okay, let's, you know, get back to what we were doing before COVID. And that was hard. That was hard. It was kind of like, we, we can't like debrief what just happened for the past, you know, four months, five mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty burnt out. I thought about leaving my current job multiple times. And I spoke with people who I consider mentors in the nursing field because it was hard. I was, you know, kind of having flashbacks and we even had our break room turned into a patient's room. And just walking by that 
room or when we turned it back into a break room that was just kind of like I, I can't be in here alone like I I can't and like I mentioned before I just like shut down for a while and I was like I I don't know if I want to you know be in the front lines of healthcare anymore like mm-hmm. um and I'm you know in nurse practitioner school <laughs> I'm coming up on graduating and I I can see it a lot in my colleagues I know numerous nurses who have left my job and other nursing jobs mm-hmm. for uh, different roles. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose, you know, that kind of spirit I had about being a nurse. Um, yeah. But it's definitely on my mind, you know, like, do I want to take a job as a nurse practitioner and something really intense and crazy because I love that. And I live for that. Yeah. Or do, you know, I want to take a step back. I think I yeah, already know the answer to that, but. Well, well I mean, well, I, I don't know what you're about to say, but you know, because of who you are as a person, you know, mm-hmm. you are just built, you know, and people are just built and we're talking nurses right now. So let's stick with that, you know? And, and I think, like you said, they are uh, good at what they do, amazing at what they do at the center of things because they're kind of built that way as people, uh, whether that's the ability to have incredible compassion for people and empathy and wanting to help and use your brain to help people. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of built that way. So here, you yeah. know, we got a whole bunch of people that are built to do, born to do this work. And it's been a tough year. I think yeah. you articulate it really well with a lot of people are, what do I do? I don't, you know, do I, is it going to get better? Mm-hmm. Is it not going to get better? Is it, you know, cause I, I'm sort of built this way and what, you know, what else, what else can I do? But, you know, clearly you're, you're still really doing a lot and leaning yeah. in with all the, how's APRN school going by the way? I love it. Like, I am doing clinical at a local hospital in electrophysiology, which looks at, you know, the electrical pathways in the heart and all the conduction disorders and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's just another world in and of itself. And I've been working in the cardiac world for almost five years now. So mm-hmm. that's been awesome. Like looking back at, you know, talking about burnout and other nurses and kind of like losing I guess hope in the profession. I don't want to say that, mm-hmm. but I guess I just don't want other nurses to feel, or even anybody in healthcare, that mm-hmm. they're alone in this. Mm-hmm. From just even knowing about this podcast, I feel like it kind of just like formed a community in my brain that, you know, we all went through this. And I'm personally really hopeful for the future of healthcare. I feel like as a nurse and as a leader, I've seen how I want to be and how I don't want to be. Uh-huh. I know other colleagues who feel the same way. So I don't want to be cheesy. I feel like I say I'm cheesy a lot. Maybe I am, <laughs> but I, I'm hopeful for healthcare. Or at least I tell myself I am well, the, because the- I want to, like, I, as you mentioned, like, this is my profession. I love doing this. Even on my worst day, I wouldn't ask for another job. You know, we're not alone. And we just got to keep pushing through. 
So that's what you meant when you said you, you think you probably already know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so by the way, the older I get, the cheesier I get, no doubt about it. And I'm way older than you. So you have a long way to go. Um, and actually maybe just as we're finishing up I, mm-hmm. I, as a leader, right. Cause I'm also a leader. So many leaders are worried about this and worried mm-hmm. about wanting to do the right thing so that we, we don't lose our nurses, you know, and other healthcare workers. And what lessons would you give me? I mean, what, what's, mm-hmm. what makes good leadership, uh, you know, in general or in a time like this? I actually have two ideas before I only had one, but I was working on my therapist with something the past week and I kind of brought something to light, but the first one is transparency. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I definitely learned in the last year is being honest with your team letting them know like the nitty gritty, what's going on in the hospital, what are our plans, things like that. That means so much more to a team Mm -hmm. by just being honest and transparent. And Mm -hmm. even if it's ugly, just, you know, tell, tell your Mm -hmm. team Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, you need them. So better have those that in your mindset beforehand. People can probably tell if you're not being transparent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the second thing, my therapist has encouraged me to go and seek out acknowledgement. And that's one thing that I feel at first I was kind of like, this is like my middle child issues coming through and not feeling acknowledged growing up. I'm sorry, mom, when you listen to this, she hates it when I say (laughs) that. But she was like, no, this isn't like a I'm fishing for compliments, vain thing. But she called me to, you know, look at a, a time when I felt acknowledged. And at my per diem, I recently had done like my yearly review with mm-hmm. my manager. And I worked there a couple times a month, like mm-hmm. I pick up a shift here and there. Mm-hmm. And just what my manager wrote about me, like mm. made me feel so good about myself. And it wasn't like anything artificial or fake. It was so honest and you know, meant so much, even if it was only three sentences. So I think those small acknowledgements go a long way to your team. Mm -hmm. And it can just be leader to leader, can be leader to a team member, can be team member to team member. So I think I'm going to pay more attention to those acknowledgements Mm -hmm. I get, but also, you know, work towards acknowledging other people for, you know, great things that they do. So transparency, acknowledgement. Yeah. That's uh, Johanna's list of yeah. uh, of pearls for leadership, which that's a good list. I got to tell Thanks. you, that's really, really helpful, by the way. Thank you for answering that Thank question. You. So it's been incredible to spend time with you, Johanna, and listen to the words that you have for this. And, you know, we have many more, but we heard just some of them today, but clearly, you know, my experience talking with you is that not only do you have the words, but they are very transparent. I mean, you, there's, you are clearly in the moment when you talk about it, which makes the words even more kind of, I think, important maybe to you, but certainly to people listening. That's really the, the key. It's like, you know, having the words to describe it, but you're right there feeling it. And I think that's part of the idea of the podcast is that, like you said, it's a community and people will hear it. Maybe, maybe they don't have the words yet, 
you know, and yeah. they hear you and that really inspires them. And I, I just want to, the last thought in my mind is I, I was really, when you said nurses, we're the core, we're the center. I mean, that sort of gave me chills. I thought that was really yeah. powerful you know, what, what you said <laughs> about that. And I, I think it's really going to resonate w- with people. And of course, not just nurses, a lot of people are part of the healthcare team, but I think you're articulating that point of view really well. So Thank you very much for your time. Congratulations on all your accomplishments so far and good luck with all the things that you're, you're doing. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking the time with me. And thanks to anyone who's taking the time to listen. Lift the Mask, Voices of Heroes in a Silent Pandemic with Dr. John Santopietro, executive produced by Kevin M. Lynch, The Quell Foundation, and Mod Worldwide. Managing producer, Sarah Marshall. Theme song by Musical Smile. The show is engineered and edited by Scott Waz and Steve Campagna of Philadelphia Post. Assistant audio editor, Vlad Radu. Film editor at Mod Worldwide. Voiceover artist, Sinead Doyle. Research and development by Colleen Lowe, Nick Lee, Jessica Ripper, and Caitlin Spurlock. Special thanks to Renee Wilk and Brittany McCormick as associate producers. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might hear your review on a future episode. Got a question? Email the Quell Foundation at liftthemask at thequellfoundation.org for sponsorship information or to find out how you can share your story as a guest on a future episode. If you haven't already, Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever great podcasts are downloaded. Also, please remember to share this podcast with friends and family who would enjoy this content. This is not a podcast for personal disclosure of suicidal thoughts or behaviors and is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. If you are in crisis, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department for assistance. Call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 1-800-273-8255, or text HELP to 741-741 if you're thinking about suicide. The Quell Foundation is a registered 501c3 not-for-profit organization benefiting the over 62 million Americans living with a mental health illness. Tax ID 47 512 Eight, three.